0: My name is Anthony P. Richards. I'm a pastor and I started this podcast channel to equip, encourage, inspire, and challenge you to passionately live to your potential in Christ through the Word of God. For more information, you can go to my YouTube channel, Anthony P. Richards. Welcome to another day as we journey through the Word of God, continuing our journey through the book of Matthew. Chapter 18, and we're going to be continuing with verse 21 today. Then Peter came to him and said, Lord, how often shall my brother sin against me and I forgive him? Up to seven times. Uh, Based on what Jesus had just talked about, unity and agreement, he was hoping to sound extremely loving by suggesting forgiving a repentant brother up to seven times when three times was actually the acceptable limit taught by most Jewish rabbis at the time. And Jesus answered unexpectedly, saying that we are to forgive an unlimited number of times. He wasn't, I don't think he was meeting 70 times 7, 490. And by the time you get to 491, then you're done. Um, R.T. France, his allusion to Genesis 424 neatly contrasts Lamech's unlimited vindictiveness with the unlimited forgiveness of the disciple. Jesus here is making a contrast between the Old and the New Testament. In the Old Testament, you had unlimited vindictiveness. In the New Testament and New Covenant, you have unlimited forgiveness. So, verse 23. Uh. Therefore, the kingdom of heaven is like a certain king who wanted to settle accounts with his servants. And when he had begun to settle accounts, one was brought to him who owed him 10,000 talents. This is a massive amount of money, anything from 12 million to a, a billion dollars. We're not, we're not quite sure. And the king in this parable expected his servants to be honorable and faithful. So one day he says, OK, I'm going to go and settle accounts with them. Verse 25, but as he was not able to pay, this is the one that had owed 10,000 talents because it's a massive number amount of money. It's a massive number. As he was not able to pay, his master commanded that he be sold with his wife and children and all that he had and that payment be made. And the servant therefore fell down before him saying, master, have patience with me and I will pay you all. And then the master of that servant was moved with compassion, released him and forgave him the debt. Uh Of course the man couldn't pay. It was an amount of money that it was never going to be able to repay. So the the master says, Listen, we've got to sell him and his family, and it's not going to satisfy the debt, but you know, it'll bring some measure of justice. And so he pleads with him and he says, Have patience with me and, and I'll pay you all. Which actually made no sense because there was no way that he could have ever paid it ever. It was never going to happen. As if all he needed were patience. No, he needed a lot more than patience. And I would imagine the disciples as they were listening to Jesus tell the story laughing at that line because they would realize that there was no way he could repay 10,000 talents. The master of the servant is moved with compassion, releases him and forgives him the debt. Shows him something that was prompted by compassion. Forgiving a debt that basically could never be repaid. This is Jesus painting a picture for us of understanding that the debt that we owed could never be repaid. Never. So what happens to this forgiven servant as we move on in the story? But that servant went out and found one of his fellow servants who owed him a 100 denarii. And he laid hands on him and took him by the throat saying, Pay me what you owe. So his fellow servant fell down at his feet, begged him, saying, Have patience with me, and I will pay you all. And he would not, but went and threw him into prison till he should pay the debt. Uh, This servant, who has just been forgiven the unforgivable, or the unpayable debt, I should say, goes and finds somebody who owes him an amount that is the equivalent of about a 100 days wages, 100 denarii. It was not an insignificant amount, but it was nothing compared to what th- this guy had just been forgiven, what he owed. It was, it was .006% of what he was forgiven. Uh, and he takes him by the throat. He literally starts to choke him to death. Uh, interestingly, Spurgeon says about that, the debt was very, very small, but the claim was urged with intense ferocity. Our little claims against our fellow men are are too apt to be pressed upon them with unsparing severity. So then this man says the same thing that this other guy said. So he says, have patience with me and I'll pay you. Exactly the same words as what he'd said to his master. Um, But it it gained nothing. So he put him into a debtor's prison. Now, he actually was allowed to do that because the guy did owe him the money. He owed him the hundred denarii, no doubt about it. But he'd very quickly forgotten that he'd been forgiven a much larger debt. You can see where Jesus is taking this story, hopefully jesus starting you're starting to listen to this and thinking, "Oh, so this is me. I got forgiven a really big debt, and then I have to be able to forgive other people who have a smaller debt comparatively to me. This is where we're going to end here. You see um, so what happens? We continue on. Um, so when his fellow sev- servants, his fellow servants, saw that what had been done, they were very grieved and came and told their master all that had been done. Then the master, after he had called him, said to him, You wicked servant, I forgave you all that debt because you begged me. Should you not also have had compassion on your fellow servant, just as I have pity on you? and his master was angry, and delivered him to the torturers until he should pay all that was due to him. His fellow servants were the ones that brought the the, the um, attention to his master. He couldn't see the evil in his own actions. Spurgeon said this, Others could see the evil of his conduct, but he could not. Sometimes we are painfully and to our embarrassment blind to our own sinful and fleshly conduct. So the master says, you wicked servant. He was angry because it was wrong for this man who had just been forgiven so much to not be so forgiving. So what does he give the first servant? What he, he gives him what he deserved. Justice instead of mercy, which is what we all deserve. People say, well, I deserve this and I deserve, I deserve happiness and I deserve. No, if you want to talk about what you deserve, it's death. The wages of sin is death and the gift of God is eternal life in Christ Jesus. If we want to talk about what we've earned, we've earned death. So, what do we get? Mercy is what we get. Verse 35. So my heavenly Father also will do to you if each of you from his heart does not forgive his brother his trespasses. The principle is very clear. God has forgiven such a great debt that any debt that's owed to us is absolutely insignificant in comparison. Nobody can possibly offend me to the extent that my sins have offended God. And this principle must be applied in the little things done to us, but also into the big things as well. Spurgeon, we incur greater wrath by refusing to forgive than by all the rest of our indebtedness. This is a very important point. If each of you from his heart does not forgive his brother his trespasses, Jesus taught a very important and often neglected principle regarding forgiveness. There are many sincere Christians who withhold forgiveness from others for mistaken reasons and they feel justified in doing so. And the reason is is because they feel that they shouldn't forgive somebody or need to forgive somebody unless that person has repented. And they say, well, that's because, uh, you know, uh, our forgiveness to God is, you know, that's what it's all modelled after. God doesn't forgive us until we repent. So we shouldn't forgive others until they repent to us. We Some people feel they have the duty to withhold forgiveness until somebody repents. But that thinking is very dangerous and it's incorrect because this parable shows us why it's incorrect. God doesn't forgive me without my repentance. Therefore, I must withhold forgiveness from others who sin against me until they properly repent. That thinking is wrong to think like that. Why? Because I don't stand in the same place as God. God has never needed to ask for forgiveness. I've never, I've never said, God, I forgive you for what you've done. I always stand as the one who's been forgiven. I'm the one who needs continual forgiveness. So for, therefore, I should forgive more quickly than God because I don't stand in the same position as God. I shouldn't be slow to forgive. I have a greater obligation to forgive than even God does. So since we have been forgiven so much, we have no right to withhold forgiveness from other people. We are the debtor forgiven on almost infinite debt. So are we going to hold on to the small debts that others owe us? See, if anyone had the right to withhold forgiveness, it's God. And he forgives more freely and more completely than anyone we know. What possible right do we have to hold on to our unforgiveness? Now, it's also important to understand when we talk about this topic that there's a distinction that can be made between forgiveness and reconciliation. True reconciliation of a relationship can only take place when both parties are agreeable to it. And that requires and may require repentance on one or both of the parties in the conflict. But but forgiveness can be one-sided. You can forgive somebody without them even saying I'm sorry. Forgiveness doesn't necessarily stop somebody from having to suffer the consequences or, or the practical consequences of their sin. Uh, David Guzik says this, A homeowner may personally forgive the man who robbed his house, yet it is still appropriate for the robber to be arrested and put in jail. On a personal level, forgiveness is required. On a civil and societal level, the man should be punished by the magistrates. Romans 13. But the principle clearly stands. This this parable was given to make us more forgiving, not less Forgiving, Jesus was not trying to restrict the forgiveness of his disciples. Mercy is a part of our relationship with God and it's also a relationship, part of our relationship with other people. You can't be shown mercy by God. What is being shown by mercy by God? Being shown mercy is the withholding of punishment that is due to you and I. That's being shown mercy. So you can't receive mercy without giving mercy to others. In other words, if somebody's done something to you and it's, you know, what they have done was wrong and they deserve to be punished. Luke 6, therefore be merciful just as your father also is merciful. We have a requirement as disciplined followers of Jesus Christ to show mercy to others. And it can't be just from our words. It has to be from our heart. Can't just be bad words with a bad attitude. Okay, I forgive you. Right, God, you're happy now? No. Otherwise, we still remain under the same condemnation. And Jesus said something very strong. So my heavenly Father also will do to you if each of you from his heart does not forgive his brother his trespasses. Uh, Unforgiveness is not the unforgivable sin. But forgiveness is the evidence of being forgiven. I think if if somebody is habitually unforgiving to other people and can never forgive anybody, then I'd have to say that that person's heart has maybe never been touched by the love of Jesus. R.T. France, those who will not forgive cannot expect to be forgiven. James wrote in James 2, judgment is without mercy to the one who has shown no mercy. There's that link, again, between mercy and forgiveness. You cannot, for your own eternal sake, hold on to unforgiveness to anybody who has done you wrong. You cannot do that. God has not done it to you and I. We are not given permission to do it to others. Additionally, we have to remember that the punishment for the the person who's done us wrong It's the responsibility of God. Think about this. The punishment of the unforgiving man is that he was sent to the torturers. I I don't want to be sent to the torturers. (laughs) But I think a lot of people torture themselves and put themselves in a position of torture by not forgiving others. Somebody's hurt them. They withhold forgiveness from that person. And what does it do? It just tortures them. It doesn't do anything to the person. Don't torture yourself by not forgiving someone. You're not letting go of biblical consequences. God's going to, God's going to take care of the righteous judge is going to take care of whatever anybody has done to wrong you. He'll judge everybody in the end. But don't torture yourself. Don't live a life of torture. Right now you have an opportunity. To just pray and forgive somebody. You can forgive them in your heart. Right now, you could just be watching this and saying, you know what, I forgive that person right now. I've been holding on to it for years, and I forgive that person right now. Jesus, I forgive them. I know that it's hurt me deeply. The wounds are deep. The scars are big. But God, I forgive them. And and I know you'll feel a sense of release, a sense of freedom that you haven't felt for a long time. And maybe that's what some people need to do today. That's our observation. It's understanding that forgiveness is something that's not just received. It's something that is given by us. And it's a sign that we understand how much God loves us. It's a sign of the love of Jesus changing us from the inside out. Heavenly Father, thank you for the promises of your word. I pray, Lord, for anybody who's struggling with this today and they've been really hurt. They've been really scarred. I pray, Lord, that the freedom that would come as they release that torture by forgiving that person would just bring a whole new level of light into their life. In Jesus' name I pray, amen. Thank you so much for listening. For more content, please don't forget to check out my YouTube channel, Anthony P. Richards. Have a great day.